carried on until the music stopped. You can start again. There you go. Oh, yep. There it is. That's the sound everyone wants to hear when they start the show. Welcome to Super Duper Stitches. The paranormal podcast where we, uh, what would you call, I guess you can't answer. Please don't drown. Uh, where we talk about spooky stuff and the science that maybe perhaps explains it. I'm Jake. That's Wyatt. I'm concerned. Hello. And we're drinking wine instead of beer this time. And that's what that was about. How is that wine? Did you aerate it sufficiently, do you think? Yeah, it turned into just vapor in my mouth <laughs> yes. by the end of that. Yeah, hello everyone. <laughs> Welcome back to another Welcome week. Welcome to another week. Or to your first ever episode, whatever Indeed. it might be. Who gives a shit? It's all the same garbage at this <laughs> point. Life's a joke. <laughs> Nothing matters. Time's a flat circle, I've heard. Yes, I have heard that as well. What is our theme this week? Our theme this week is... I guess you could say strangeness in space. Space weird. S- strange spaces. Space is strange. Oh, there you go. Space is strange. Space is strange. Outer uh, space. Space is comma strange. Exactly. Space is parentheses strange. <laughs> um, but yeah, weird things happening in the outer space realm. Uh, this is, what would you say, stone skipping off of a topic suggested by friend of the show, Brendan. That's right. I forgot um, about that. And which will end which up I'll being be your segment, yeah. Covering in the second half of the show today. Yeah. Um, I do not know at all what Jake has prepared. I didn't know what I had prepared until a few hours ago. And uh, yeah, I'll take it away in a second. But first, I have one quick oh. correction to offer from last week. All right. I said that Sharpays, the breed of dog with all the ridiculous wrinkles, were bred for bear fighting. Turns out it's actually for dog fighting. Oh, okay. But the, the principle's still the same. They same can be, principle, they yeah. They can be bitten and they can still shift within their skin to counterattack Man, while the, still being clamped onto. The number of times I wish I could have had that ability in my life, I tell you what. <laughs> yep. So. Well, that reminds me of that cat your roommate had years ago. Oh, That my had too much goodness. skin you described. I will have to tell that story at some point, perhaps on the podcast, I think yeah. For we'll anyone interested, put a pin in the idea of a cat with too much skin. Yes. Start it, writing in now for with requests to hear Wyatt's story about. <laughs> that. If you want to hear the most <laughs> gruesome, without being violent, uh, it's just an tale. unpleasant looking. It was an extremely unpleasant, yeah, house cat that I happened to live with for a while. It was the uh, it was cat your of roommate. roommate. Yeah, it was the my roommate. Was, yeah. I just called him cat because he was cool, but no, this this cat was. Uh, Sort of like a corporeal specter <laughs> from hell. <laughs> I'll have to tell the story at some point. So don't don't let me forget about that. I won't. It'll be called Schrodinger the Cat, <laughs> which was its name, uncomfortably enough. Oh, uh, that's too bad. Too many people tend to decide to name their cat Schrodinger. And if my the roommate, former roommate who is out there still ever hears this podcast and hears me talk shit about their cat, name I'm sure they will better <laughs> come and find me and take all my skin off too oh <laughs> wait they didn't flay the cat at the end of the story right that wasn't part no, of it no, okay. no 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 not that cat at least <laughs> <laughs> i understand there is more than one way at least so i'm sure you can tell us which way i'm done i'm sorry uh so anyway it turns out i find my most interesting stuff when i'm phoning it in hardest and uh-huh. when i uh consequently least expect it so kind of like um, when I accidentally stumbled across that paranormal investigation role-playing website in episode 49. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, my which God. I, again, it was like a deal where I found a story. I was like, okay, this will work. And then as I was reading into <laughs> it to, to edit it down, I was like, oh, wait, this isn't what I thought at that all. That was crazy. <sighs> you all right? Go on. Okay. 
Uh, we don't need to explain what happened. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. So anyway, my aim this week it was to just find a kooky personal theory about extraterrestrials from somewhere in the vast weirdness of the old internet. Yeah, good luck with that. Unfortunately, yeah, there's so much <laughs> of that stuff out there. Uh, it was hard to pare it down to an actual account and not some aggregator site's top 10 list. Right. Or either that or, or more of the um, exact brand of new age wackiness that you more than uh, sufficiently covered back in episode 19. <laughs> Um, you know, I very actually very nearly settled for a Quora response thread, <laughs> which would have also been just copying you. But there were a couple of interesting responses on that particular thread. Most notably, one from somebody who was very enthusiastically endorsing the theories of one Giorgio Piacenza Cabrera. Giorgio hmm. Piacenza probably I, th- I think he's from Peru, so hmm. Piacenza Cabrera. Uh, so let me just start with her response in the Quora thing first. Mm-hmm. The question was. Has anyone gone through any ex- uh, extraterrestrial sightings or experiences? And Katarina Castilla replied, Zendras. Zendras. <laughs> and underneath that, she said, in September 2014 and September 2015, <laughs> Paula, uh, Paula Leopizza Harris, who worked with J. Allen Hynek, who headed Project Blue Book, had an encounter with beings from Alpha Centauri. Mm-hmm. They opened up a Zendra, which is an interdimensional portal, and invited Paula, along with a few others, to communicate with them. Hmm. Here's a link that better describes Zendras. And she then links to the article that will form the bulk of my segment today. Ooh, exciting. Uh, she goes on from there. Quote, these beings have communicated that this work we are supposed to do is about us, not about them. It's about the future of humans and our role in the future events. Um, or uh-huh. they were just trying to break up with humans. I'm not sure. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely you. <laughs> uh. Um, I personally believe that these events have to do with the return of the Brotherhood of Light, mm. also known as the Great White Brotherhood. Finally, man. Yeah. Um, in the Book of Knowledge, the Keys of Enoch, uh, it's prophesied that in preparation for their return to the planet, a return which includes Jesus, Michael, Metatron, uh, Melchizedek, Enoch, Elijah, and many others, a delegation of interplanetary beings will land on Earth. Mm-hmm. The Keys of Enoch state that, quote, quote within a quote i guess i saw how man was prepared and quote within quote i personally believe the encounters we are having with these beings tie into that mm-hmm. the primary message of this movement is love peace and brotherhood so then she goes on to conclude by plugging the star works usa annual ufo symposium yep which the aforementioned paula leo pizza harris led this was in 2016 that this whole thread she didn't happened. mention how many dimensions or anything she did not mention a number of dimensions but no, we can assume feline, there were at least five feline or cetacean <laughs> leonine beings leonine <laughs> beings yes yeah. yes mm-hmm. oh god basically i think there are two choices when it comes to uh <laughs> looking for ufo or extraterrestrial belief type stories they yeah. are either um people who are the extreme conspiracy theorist type or the peace love and spiritualist type exactly exactly um that's very true and in spite of my concerns about stepping too much on your episode 19 toes go on i went the latter route <laughs> please and the interesting thing you can already kind of hear th- hinted in her thing there is it's a lot of space stuff and a lot of jesusy stuff it's weird i think Are i need good? some wine first Whoa, you just crushed that whole bottle. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting prepped. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to hit you now with the article I mentioned from exonews.org, entitled, Toward Convenient and Constructive Exopolitical Contacts, by Giorgio Piacenza Cabrera. Here we go. <laughs> Exopolitical. Keep that word in mind. I like that. I like that. Uh, I have edited, edited this somewhat for length. Mm-hmm. All right. Down to just 
75 pages instead of 3,425. It took a while, but I, I think I did a good job. <laughs> Conscious contact after invitations are happening right now. Many Mission Rama, for the most part Hispanic contactees, have uh, discovered other worlds physically, mentally, astrally, telepathically, and through oh. holographic pro- uh, projections. Cue sound pad. Go on. Yeah, it probably would be worth. But like a more political one, not the spacey one, like a little bit more like. Kind of like newscast music. Yeah, newscast mixed with, you know, the Joanna vibes. Yes. If I could pull that off, I will make that happen. Yes, excellent. Carry on. And for reference, Mission Rama is a ufologist slash spiritualist group. I don't really know if that's the right way to describe them. They're people who are super interested in. The stuff I'm describing and being actively involved with it, based, I'm pretty sure, in Peru. I see. And their core mission is, quote, to establish the bridge of union of minds and of souls, orienting them towards a transcendent goal such as creating conditions of personal and collective fulfillment. A.K.A. instant ramen. Once you get good enough um, spiritual practice with this, you can do it quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's when it becomes that. Uh, they have befriended <laughs> uh, They have befriended respectful extraterrestrials that, in my view, exist on a higher physical level. A reason why the contactees' bodies, minds, and energy fields had to be prepared to achieve healthy encounters. Elements of a once-lost complex history of humanity have been recuperated, which unfortunately includes various forms of abusive and mistaken extraterrestrial interventions. However, besides indigenous Earth genetics, we may have been genetically combined with at least 12 major extraterrestrial species relating us to them, to their tendencies, their abilities... Their genetically associated descendants and offshoots, and to their spiritual and psychic potentials. I have a lot of questions now. I ha- yeah no you're, you're gonna you're gonna have more. Don't worry, but but there will be a lot of answers. Don't worry, or at least twelve. A lot of twelve, at least twelve. Does he name them off? No. Damn. Uh, we do get a couple though. Don't worry. Okay, good. Um, thus, there is a great expectation among many ET groups and subgroups because they want to learn from us mm. how to move ahead in evolution. We're not the best example. <laughs> <laughs> While most adhere to strict ethical norms and principles and are aligned in respect to Earth representative, the universal sovereign master Jesus Christ, with what we could uh, term a large confederation also under the spiritual guidance of 24 elders in our galaxy and nine elders in the Andromeda Council, there are some, human, reptile, and gray, who may follow their own independent, non-aligned path. Naturally. So, um, our representative from Earth is Jesus, Mm -hmm. um, but... There are, and most other extraterrestrial races are aligned in their same kind of general goals and philosophies, but some humans and reptilians and gray aliens uh, don't necessarily line up, and that explains why we uh, have the reptilian overlords and grays who are abducting people. I have been wondering about that, I yeah. see. So they're not quite, is the, am I correct to understand they're not quite aligned with the spiritual kind of process that's going on here? Yes. Uh, um, Okay. And the, and just the general kind of um, ethical norms and principles he, is this way he describes oh, the it. the exopolitical principles, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. <laughs> so some of these <laughs> who do not align are Orions under a Luciferian influence. Although some of these ET varieties may have some rights to intervene in a limited way on planet Earth, also called Merla by other civilizations, Merla. all are monitored and supervised. Moreover, since Earth is in a type of cosmic quarantine... Some rogue ET types have nothing to do with our special human history and are not allowed to interfere, and there are overseers that stop them. Okay. Those both positively and negatively inclined already participating are allowed specific kinds of intervention according to need, but must follow specific protocols because the interests of many ET groups as a whole are at stake. What? Okay. Wow. It's a pretty 
sensitive and complex sort of system in yes place, so I guess. all of the different alien encounters people have had over the years have followed very specific rules and that's uh-huh. why the things happen differently in them uh, and it's in all of the different races uh, best interests to work together to make sure that they follow certain certain methods for fucking with us and yeah i I'm guess starting to feel us. like uh you know i started to feel like a bacteria on a plate here <laughs> i don't feel like we're, we have a seat at the table so much as they're just trying to get first dibs on lab samples <laughs> but it's all to it's supposed to be for the purpose of kind of uniting us all as one okay, particular okay. uh i don't know it's it's hard to say for sure i'm still here uh, this is why not one group has simply and crudely invaded us. Mm-hmm. There's a general agreement and supervised control mechanism so that not one group exceeds itself as it may have happened in the past. The hmm. overall situation involving the many extraterrestrial civilizations, groups, and subgroups intervening on Earth is much more complex, unified, and interrelated than normally expected and cannot be reduced to a simple explanation. <laughs> so that's why he offers us this explanation. <laughs> Um, however, there are underlying patterns that can be elucidated, and the word complex should not be a turnoff against learning. Additionally, in my own view, a shared degree of transdimensional technologies force all extraterrestrials coming into our shared reality to abide by mutual respect rules because the waywardness of one could also be adverse to the needs and pro- projects of others. So, I mean, that's good news, right? <laughs> yeah. A whole bunch of regulations keeping the many totally certain different species throughout the cosmos... From fucking with us in bad ways. Wow. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. That last part was just his own personal view. Only, only that last part was everything else. Oh. Was, yeah, that was just his own view. The rest was all just fact. Um, over yeah, the years, exactly. <laughs> over the years, perhaps a couple of dozen Mission Rama participants have um, been allowed to travel to a colony in the moon of Jupiter we call Ganymede, and which the Confederated ETs call Morlin. Oh. Uh, Moreland, I mean, yeah, obviously. Yeah, Moreland was founded by individuals from a region in Orion and by others who didn't adhere to a Luciferian-influenced rebellion stemming from a non-physical realm. So, this Lucifer guy, what the hell's the deal there? I th- so, since Jesus is the representative from Earth, I'm not sure what where he is the representative from, but he's... Danny's? Had some pretty, maybe, very possibly. And he's had some not great influence on some of these different extraterrestrial <laughs> varieties, they call them. Not races, but varieties. Um, uh, It is a colony made of several kinds of colonists Go figure Go figure And in the 1970s Some Mission Rama participants were taken as a group Through a Zendra portal To experience a direct encounter With their wise governing elders The Miners of Morlin You probably remember that It was all over the news Oh yeah, no, absolutely Uh, Their peaceful life is sustained In semi-underground dwelling complexes Through advanced technology And I think that their living physical frequency Is not as dense as on physical earth However, mm. I would disagree with that speculation. On what grounds? I think their frequency would be denser. Uh, based on just their proximity to Jupiter? Or, I mean, I don't know. But <laughs> gravity being a... I mean, it's a moon... I'm, well, I, I, have a my I have okay, my reasons. I have my reasons. That's fair enough. Fair enough. Um, however, through what could be called an energy cloak surrounding contactees when taken there after some preparation involving discipline but not an insurmountable rigor, current Earth humans can, for special purpose occasions, travel there. Hmm. Quite often, their preparation takes the form of a lacto-ovo-vegetarian diet. Excuse me. Regular daybreaks, solar and nighttime moon energy incorporation meditations, meditations on our telepathically received cosmic name, uh, psychophysical, tai chi, and moving yoga-like exercises, intuition and psychic development exercises, self-control practices such as being alone and in silence in a dark place in the countryside, regular camping excursions to get close to nature, and the development of a healthy, socially responsible, and emotionally balanced life. 
Oh, pretty straightforward, uh, you know, preparations. I feel like most people I know do that already. So. Yeah, so they're already well on their way to being ready to visit Ganymede, or sorry, uh, Moreland. I mean, I feel like in my family, we, we adopted the uh, lacto of a vegetarian diet pretty much right around the time I was six or so. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm glad <laughs> to hear that's pretty uh, much part of the protocol. Yes. Uh, this next part also is probably something you've already done I'm sure a while ago. Sure. An aid to preparation has also been the energetic implantation in the chest area of a pair of semi-materialized cesium crystals, which are then absorbed into the astral body and help to assimilate a shift of programming energies coming from the center of the galaxy, decades before the end of the known long count Mayan calendar in 2012. Yeah. So no. that's even more straightforward than I, other stuff. Absolutely. When some participants develop telepathic and or automatic writing abilities, dates, times, and places are often given to verify the communications through spacecraft sightings. Sightings should preferably be unequivocal and not be confused with satellites, airplanes, etc. Never. No, And no, the no. communications should not promote a single person or an ego, but the non, uh, but be non-forcing, respectful, and constructive with coherence and specificity as need be, while the spiritual guiding aspect should trans-temporally build upon previous and subsequent communications. Naturally. No, yeah. That's that's the way to do it, I'd I, say. I can see you're taking notes that this is good. Yeah. So in this case, yeah, uh, once they're ready, they'll start having sightings of UFOs. And they shouldn't be confused with things that are, you know, not alien in origin. And once they see those things, it, they'll let the different settings they have build on past experiences to all create some higher meaning for them. I guess the question I have is, and this has been brought up to me before by other seekers after intergalactic <coughs> politics, I guess. Here we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just looking around the room. <laughs> Where's that word? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but in all seriousness they they've come forward asking about the fact that in many ways we too are the alien so seeing our own crafts in space how is that separate in some ways from seeing so-called alien craft as it were fucked if i know what fucked if i know who's the writer of this article Again, Giorgio Giorgio DiCaprio. I think so. I wonder if he would know. Carry on. Maybe. Sorry, I don't mean to. I'm uh, not trying to. Giorgio Piacenza Cabrera. See, yeah. Um, what, what I said. All right. So sometimes these communications are received in different places by different antennas rather than channelers, simultaneously or consecutively, but complementing each other. In time, an easygoing rapport or of trust and friendship with friendly extraterrestrial beings needs to develop without lies or manipulations. Right. It would behoove wise exopoliticians to, through genuine, approachable, well-intended contactees, try to relate with the benevolent and respectful, positively spiritually based kinds of extraterrestrials who are not willing to give us right away the technologies we can't ethically handle. Uh, right. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who disagrees with that. No, absolutely. I mean, we only barely got the neutral bullet out of them, so... <laughs> Um, regarding Zendras, contactee Sixto Pass Wells from Peru tells us that a Zendra is a dimensional uh, door or space-time threshold. As they, ETs, told me, they have been able to concentrate energy in a way, um, in such a way that they can dematerialize a person, canceling his molecular cohesion and atomic weight, and they can project or send him to another place. This Zendra is a projection of concentrated light that accelerates the person's vibration and acts as a dimensional transference vehicle and threshold in space-time. Again, the person going through a Zendra, depending on its intensity, can even be dematerialized to be teletransported to another place 
canceling his molecular cohesion and atomic weight. This experience can occur many times during the personal and collective preparation process. Hmm. And this definition can occur many times during the same paragraph. Yeah. Uh, this means that one can relive it many times, in um, which case there are many kinds of Zendra that allow f- um, f- that allow from a physical experience to a mental projection or also a bilocation or also a conscious astral experience. You get what that means, right? Yeah. No, basically, we, Zendra... We don't, need, we don't need to explain that to Zendra is basically like a microwave. Yeah, it's yeah. got popcorn, dinner, beverage. Human head. Human head. <laughs> cereal. A, how many episodes ago? That was a couple episodes ago. A couple episodes ago. Uh, episodes ago and, and you basically said it and forget it forget it pretty much because you're probably going to be killed <laughs> <laughs> there are three types of zendras Wyatt. oh excuse so, me so here we go zendra one a kind of dimensional door designed for a single person in the company of an extraterrestrial being or guide this zendra usually has the shape of a half moon about 10 meters 33 feet in diameter and allows a physical experience of dematerialization with the local disappearance of the person and its projection to another place, which would be the interior of a spaceship, an extraterrestrial or a subaquatic base, or even another planet. Hmm. Zendra 2. So is this is this a large crescent gateway, basically? Yes, I believe so. Okay, carry on. Um, Zendra 2. Up to seven persons can go inside while coordinated or accompanied by two extraterrestrial beings. This experience can also be physical or of a mental projection or bilocation, and the shape can be that of a golden half moon, oval shaped like an arch, or different. So it's like one of those things, or a different thing, or whatever, is what it looks like. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not or whatever, it's those things. The golden arch, or the half moon. Or different. Or different. the last option. <laughs> Have you never seen different? I, I guess I haven't yet. All right. I'm sorry, there are actually there are four. Sandra three, four... Three Gimbra. slash four? Three hyphen four. I don't oh, know. Oh, shit. Okay. Three go to on. four. Go on. Gimbra. This is the kind of Zendra that allows up to 12 persons to go at once inside, and it is usually coordinated by the Confederation's Council. Oh, damn. This Zendra varies its form from something like a grayish silver dome to a whitish or glistening blue cloud, or a dome where sparks float above the ground having a whitish surface. It can measure a diameter <sighs> greater than 10 meters, 33 feet. Unlike the other types of dimensional passages, that um, this kind of Zendra facilitates a profoundly spiritual experience of cosmic integration. The other ones, not so much, I guess. Not so much. Yeah, those ones, are, they leave you kind of feeling just got a headache. Yeah. Sort of hungry and thirsty. Well, the actual, so the next thing I have here is what they make you feel like. <laughs> well, let's see if I haven't gone through one. Go on. Uh, the other Zendras can provi- provide a physical, mental, or astral experiences, but many persons go through the threshold and don't manage to remember what they experience inside. This is why they might have to work during their meditations and conscious regressions in order to remember it. When one goes inside one of the physical teleportation zendras, one feels dizziness, nausea, a sense of losing weight. Holy shit. Uh, one feels as if the entire body is burning, a very strange sensation. Oh my god. In some cases, one feels being like an inside-out sweater or jersey. Sweater or jersey? <laughs> as if one has been turned inside-out completely. Right. <laughs> Somewhat similar to the story of Alice in Wonderland meaning that they place you on the other side of the mirror. Holy shit, dude. <laughs> it really is an extraordinary experience. Above all, because when I first went into it, I estimate I spent between four to five days in Ganymede, but upon my return, found that only 15 minutes had passed. Hmm. So what's going on here? <laughs> How does that work? It's interesting. Like, yeah, he, After all this traveling he did and all these things that teleportation happening to him, and stuff, he spent four to five days in Ganymede, or Moreland, I guess, and then woke up to find that only 15 minutes had passed. Hmm. It's certainly not as though... He was dreaming. No. That is impossible. 
or you know if you had that happen to you and then have a hard time remembering it that couldn't be anything related to sleep no so for those of you who felt inclined to say citation needed at any point in the last 20 or 30 minutes uh let's do something even easier and just look into this website a little more if i go to the about section of the exo news website i find this Mm -hmm. quote the primary mission of exo news is to promote public debate and awareness of exopolitics which has been defined as an interdisciplinary scientific field with its roots in the uh, political sciences that focuses on research education and public policy with regards to the actors institutions and processes associated with extraterrestrial life as well as the wide range of implications this entails through public advocacy and newly emerging paradigms. Exo News is sponsored by the Exopolitics Institute, a U.S.-based 501c3 nonprofit educational organization established in 2005. The Exopolitics Institute News Service will be advised by an international editorial board. The board comprises um, Komei Carpentier, India, uh, Neil Gould, Hong Kong, David Griffin, Masters of Science, um, United <laughs> Kingdom, Paula Harris, Masters of Education, USA, Italy, the same person who was leading that um, conference thing I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. uh, Douglas McClure, MA, South Africa, Michael Sa- um, Sala, PhD, USA, Australia, and Victor Vigiani, uh, Masters of Education, Canada. Uh, Michael Sala, in particular, is also he's the managing editor, and the chief editor is Duke Brickhouse, JD. <laughs> <laughs> Um, JD just stands for Just Duke. <laughs> please. <laughs> please, Just Duke. More information about the Exopolitics Institute here uh, is here. It then links to exopoliticsinstitute.org, which offers, quote, a number of educational programs for those interested in developing professional qualifications in exopolitics. Please tell me you went there. Oh, I absolutely did. Uh, I, this is from that website I clicked over. Um, uh. so, and or acquiring analytical tools, research methods, and investigative techniques for evidence concerning the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Our experienced faculty of educators and trainers collectively offer decades of experience in the teaching profession and in researching the extraterrestrial hypothesis and offer you the opportunity to apply exopolitics in a number of unique areas. Like, decades of experience in the teaching profession. Just just the idea of teaching profession. in general. Yes, the profession indeed. of teaching something mm-hmm. um and researching well, the extraterrestrial there's no hypothesis. telling whether they may have had these decades on ganymede this is which true over here would be maybe like you know, half an hour half an hour or so yeah. below that link is a link to register for the 2019 certification program and now we're getting to what i think is the, at the heart of all this stuff make it the money to receive an exopolitics certificate simply pay 375 dollars per course for each of the five total courses or a reduced rate of $1,500 paid in advance for all of them. It's not very enlightened. Which, which is then obviously pretty good savings. If you pay in advance, you get to save some pretty good money. Yeah. To receive an exopolitics diploma as opposed to just a certificate, just pay for all five courses plus the substantial research paper and the advanced instructor training, also $375 each, or pay the reduced pr- rate of 1995 in advance. I got my exoplanetary politics, whatever the fuck, diploma at... Uh, GCC Ganymede Community College, and it only cost me like three space dollars. Space dollars, which is like nothing. Yes, I looked into the substantial research paper. That's the prop, all proper nouns. Is I think it's like a ten thousand <laughs> w- substantial research paper. Um, I believe it's SRP. Like a ten, yeah. yeah, I think it's like a ten thousand word um, dissertation you have to write f- for this thing, um, and it costs three hundred seventy-five dollars to do it. Um, <laughs> So it's basically fucking Trump University for... In space. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so 
So the wording of the article I read first sounds like the ravings of just another new age goober. Yep. But slowly starts to sound a bit too, like, I don't want to say normal, but like, it sounds like the person isn't. There's a They're certain, crafting a world. Yes. It sounds not quite academic, but like the person who's writing it knows what that should sound like. I appreciated very much the specificity of the detail on the Zendras, too. Oh, man. The floating dome and all that kind of weird stuff. I'm like, wow. Well, so much. It's, it's so it's, particular. The specificity, the specificity throughout is what's so striking. Like the right. 12 different species we might be hybrids of. Like all these different things that just sound like. I kept wondering, is he going to get into how he knows this stuff? Like he's right. starting to as like, oh, this is just facts. So it sounds like you're learning. So you're word, being yeah, inducted into some sort of secret knowledge. Yes. So the wording has the effect of being increase, increasing both the believability and the apparent scholarly credibility of the whole thing. And right. if you're already kind of a subscriber to this stuff, then it's like you're going to be pulled in even harder. Right. If it sounds like you're learning more about a subject area you're already passionate about, it sounds like they have a lot to offer. Right. And whoa, they even have they even offer classes, and I can get a degree. Right. Well, sign me up. Now, on this show, we don't really shy away from poking fun at some of the more fringe beliefs and stuff out there, but you know, preying on the people who hold those beliefs to make money is not it really sucks. yeah. Fuck that. Because especially with some of these narratives, yes, they're wacky. Yes, again, like Jake said, we love to giggle at that. But at the end of the day. It's a person who is harming no one. Exactly. They are simply contextualizing their personal experiences in a very fanciful way that some other folks I'm sure will enjoy and plenty of other folks will be like, that's ridiculous. But who of us hasn't had some part of our life where they're like, oh yeah, man, I, this, this fucking thing is like part of what I do and what I am. Yeah. Someone else is like, that's ridiculous, man. <laughs> we'll joke about this kind of stuff, but it's, if no one's being harmed by the beliefs and stuff, it doesn't matter. That's, that's why I didn't decide to go the direction of conspiracy theorists because right. there's so much of that and it's also just like a kind of founded on nothing and b it kind of leads nowhere other than oh well that person is is kind of off the deep end huh and then that's that. like, and like, you're kind of yeah right like, and they're, they're, again even then it's like yeah there have there's kind of a more of an anger to conspiracy theories but in those instances anyway it's still not really harmful it's like it's keeping them occupied i guess i don't right, know right but in this case it's like oh they're taking all these different beliefs people have kind of um, distilling them into this whole narrative that sounds like oh there's a whole lot more going on that i didn't even know about and kind of weaving into it stuff that i didn't even notice in the first read something that i actually picked up as i was reading it now of like oh well that could easily sound like something someone else has experienced and then right. validates it and makes it feel official then describing right. that oh you know once you are ready enough then you'll start seeing these things when you see them, then you're supposed to kind of build on your different experiences and put them all together into this one, you know, larger narrative that kind makes more sense. the classic pyramid stuff. Oh, going for sure, because then they're trying to get people to like sign up, invest and, more and more. Yeah, and then if you once you if you were to get either the certificate or the diploma, what you can use it for, I don't know, other than <laughs> maybe just joining their thing. So it could actually be a pyramid scheme to right. then get people to try and join them. Now, I can't outright prove that they are actually, like, the Exopolitics Institute is a fraud. Mm-hmm. Maybe it really is all in earnest, but it's highly doubtful that that many people with that many actual degrees all subscribe to this exact same narrative. Exactly. It's also pretty doubtful that they even all signed on at all, I feel like. They could be just fabricated names. Probably, yeah. I mean, I it know. says that different, like, um, if you go to the course descriptions, it lists a couple of them anyway, 
as the actual um, instructors for those courses. Mm-hmm. And so I would wonder if at least a couple of them might actually have like recorded lectures that they give you or something. I do have to admit, as much as I, this is sort of a screamingly obvious scam, I do want to... Oh my God, I know. <laughs> ...do it and yes, like yes. record it and like document our experience. Unfortunately, like you can, if you even want just one class, you have to pay 375 bucks right That's off the incredible. bat. incredible. It's so expensive. And it would be doubly painful to know that you were giving your money to... Crooks. Some shysters, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it all comes down to the founder, Michael Sala, who is also the managing editor for XO News. Seems to really begin and end with him, I think. Right. Um, and it actually turns out Rational Wiki seems to agree with me on this. So I went huh. to their article about him and this whole grift. All of what I thought was just going to be like, oh, here's a really weird particular theory someone has. Turns out to be a whole scheme. Oh. I really just hope that they aren't bleeding gullible people dry with this whole thing they're doing. If they're right. offering 2019 courses, they're still clearly active. Right. So, yeah. Scary that, stuff. That is the unfortunate thing, too, is there's nothing, I think preventing them from doing that i mean they have their they're within their rights to just be like technically they're offering a service that they they give the price up front and then people pay the price for the thing and then they presumably receive the thing so it's yeah and and so i wonder like it must it's only five courses that's the thing for both versions it's only five courses Mm -hmm. and like i said they're probably pre-recorded lectures so they only had to do it once and they can just give it out and then for the other one that costs more where you get the diploma instead of the certificate it's again it's not a degree it's just a piece of paper that has one name or the other <laughs> and one costs more yeah you have to also write a paper and do another thing and so it's just you you are paying them to do work exactly and then you get to have this certificate afterward or and ironically i imagine all that work would only further solidify the narrative that you're quite literally buying into at yes, that point because you're learning they're telling you the stuff they made up and it's folding into the narrative you have for yourself of like what makes sense for the experiences you're trying to make sense of these weird things that happen to you that you don't understand right and now you're trying to understand it and you're going to start feeding in your own kind of take on things i'm not sure if the guy that giorgio gentleman from peru whose article i just read i'm not sure if he's part of the grift thing or if he is someone who had experiences and believes them and wanted to write for them Ultimately, the final editor is Michael Sala, so mm. he can change some of the wording to make it sound more like how he wants it to sound. Right. And he may not have to if the person believes it so much that they are just saying these things from the heart and weaving in their own beliefs. He says a couple times, well, this is what I believe might be the case. Right. If you have this sort of theory, as you want to call it, to back up your your claims and stuff, it'll be much easier to then make leaps from there. Mm-hmm. So it's not good. No, indeed. So I guess the conclusion of my piece is fuck Michael Sala <laughs> and the Exopolitics Institute for messing with people. That's right. Very cool. Mm. Thank you. I enjoyed that. All right. So. You've got stuff now, too. It is my turn. So frig of rock. I'm going to rock and roll. Uh, so this was suggested by, as I mentioned at the top, friend of the show, Brendan, who has done some of my homework for me this week. The merry man himself. Indeed. And uh, suggested a handful of articles for me to dive into. So thank you, Brendan. Um, They were of no help. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Thank you, Brendan. Fuck you, dude. They were helpful. (laughs) Um, So towards the end of 2017, some big news, some truly astronomical news, splashed across our computer screens. A long, lobey... Is that what's all over my screen? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> that's why there's all that goop. 
news. Um, <laughs> covered in news. <laughs> um, a long, lobby, and inofficial records mineral body, only about a kilometer long, which is relatively minuscule by cosmic standards, mm-hmm. was flying through our solar system and fast. Now, flying mineral bodies, termed asteroids, and icy bodies, termed comets, 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 are usually only big news if it seems like they might be getting a little too close. There are also meteoroids, meteors, and meteorites. Meteoroids are teeny little rocky bodies that fly through space. Meteors are the moment of incidence as they are crashing through our atmosphere and burning up, and meteorites are the rocks you find on the surface of our planet that came from space. Enjoy. Whee. After all, even something relatively tiny by cosmic standards may still be large enough to, let's say, rapidly and violently redistribute major portions of terra firma. <laughs> no, this was such big news because the high speed and trajectory of this weird rock dubbed Oumuamua, <laughs> which is Hawaiian for scout, oh, um, cool. revealed it to be the first and only documented interstellar object to have paid the big nine... Uh, I guess eight now, right? Pluto, no longer. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it still visited the same area the where Pluto is. Yeah, the big, the the big, big nine. nine. Uh, a visit. So the big nine things that there are. Pluto, maybe not a planet, but it's a big thing. It is a big compared thing compared to you know other stuff. Exactly. So by the time this was news, that is smaller. Ooh, mwah, mwah. <laughs> had already made its closest passes by the sun and Earth, where it may have caught sight of the Maga Beast. And was headed back out into the darkness. I'm not, I'm not going to oh, that this. shit. Yeah. yeah. So, fun stuff, but an otherwise finish... <laughs> otherwise... Oh, God, Jake, please help me. <laughs> I'm the wrong person to ask. <laughs> fun stuff, but an otherwise finished tale, right? Thing came, it went, we saw it, that was that. It came, it saw it, conquered. <laughs> and now, Umuamua is the overlord. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not exactly. You see, there are aspects about Umuamua's makeup and trajectory... That just didn't quite sit right with a lot of people. And, despite having about as much data as one could hope to collect from the surface of a planet on a kilometer-long object moving through space, debates have subsequently raged on about Oumuamua's actual identity. So, I'm going to get us into that today, uh, but first a little recap on the icier bodies in space, comets. So, there's a lot of water out there in the great beyond, but it's all frozen in giant chunks since space is pretty fucking cold. Comets spend the majority of their time drifting around the outer fringe of our solar system, way out beyond has-been planets, excuse me, Pluto, in the Kuiper belt, um, where it's nice and cold and dark. Occasionally, though, a comet will get bumped towards the sun and will be drawn in steadily closer and closer through gravitational acceleration. So this is a predictable process governed almost entirely by gravitational pull. However, as comets draw closer to the sun, they begin to heat up, eventually getting hot enough that they release gases through a process inventively termed outgassing. (laughs) So this is what gives comets their so-called tail. It also happens to be how comets got their name. The term comet is an etymological descendant of the Greek um, komites, meaning wearing long hair, and was specifically used in reference to stellar bodies. So, sort of... Oh, now he stops. (laughs) As soon as he gets the (laughs) deal. Stupid police car. Stupid police. 
specifically in reference to stellar bodies, so equivalent to a long-haired star, if you will. Hmm. So anyway, the nifty thing about outgassing, about this long hair, is that it means comets tend to demonstrate some amount of non-gravitational acceleration. So gravity pulls many objects in space along a typically hyperbolic trajectory. So this is hyperbolic in the mathematical rather than literary sense. Hmm. So think of a line drawn in an arc. On one end is the start of the trajectory towards a gravitational body, and on the other, the outward path away from that body. So effectively, many stellar objects don't make a direct run at larger bodies, but instead make close passes, slingshotting around and back out into space once through. With comets, the release of gases acts like a kind of rocket propellant, shuttling comets in ways that would otherwise break the laws of celestial mechanics. Ah. So that said, because of their high water content, comets are relatively fragile and tend to break up once they begin to spin or accelerate at a sufficient rate as they're drawn in. So these these are sort of the processes we expect to see when a comet comes closer into our neck of the solar woods or whatever. (laughs) So this all brings us back to why Oumuamua is so freaking weird. This thing, flipping over and over, wound up undergoing non-gravitational acceleration as it flew past the sun. So it actually got faster as it went away from us and back out into the galaxy. Hmm. So as it's moving away from the sun, it's speeding up. However, it showed no signs of outgassing or breaking up, or really any other comedy traits that astronomers look for when trying to categorize the things that they see. Uh, another thing, I don't... Oh, I, did, comet, did, I said comedy, what are you talking about? Comet, <laughs> comet-esque traits. Uh, comet, okay. Comet-y traits, yeah, sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Comedy traits. <laughs> it wasn't hilarious, and so people are still confused. <laughs> um, wasn't holding a mic and standing in front of a brick wall. All right, sweating profusely. <laughs> right, so while it thus seemed to behave like a comet, it looked like and had the resilience of an asteroid. This leads us to the many opinions and to a pretty impressive number of quite high-profile published efforts which embody the ensuing and ongoing Oumuamua debate. Some of our listeners may be familiar with Google Scholar, which is an online search application for published works. Searching Oumuamua on Google Scholar yields a staggering 1,130 hits. Jesus. Most of them full articles in which Oumuamua is a featured or the focal topic of a study, a published piece of work. A cursory overview of these articles reveals a flurry of analyses and contemplation throughout the scientific community. Where did Oumuamua come from? How do we explain its, its weirdness, its rotation, its acceleration? What the hell was it anyway? So I assume you read all those for this episode? Oh yeah. No, I read about a thousand of them. <laughs> That's why I'm bleeding from my eyes right now. <laughs> a year after Oumuamua was detected traveling away from the sun, it's still in our solar system, by the way. It will, uh, even with its accelerating trajectory, it will take about 20,000 years for this guy to have fully and completely pieced out. Oh, wow. Um, so, in 2018, high-profile scientific research was pouring out of the astrophysics community. Raymond Skiba, maybe mispronouncing his name, I apologize if so, published an article in Quantum Magazine uh, titled Interstellar Visitor Found to be Unlike a Comet or an Asteroid, which provides a digest of the tale and some of these initial research efforts. The end over end spin of its rotation, the non gravitational acceleration, its resilience in the presence of elevated temperature and high torque, as it all didn't uh, quite add up, it was as if Oumuamua was somewhere between comet and asteroid, but decidedly neither of either. Hmm. So to read a bit from the article, quote, 
In a new study that is currently under peer review, Roman Ravikov, an uh, astrophysicist at the University of Cambridge, argues that the same forces that appeared to have accelerated Oumuamua, the same forces that should have also produced a tail, would have also affected its spin. In particular, the acceleration would have torqued Oumuamua to such a degree that it would have spun apart, breaking up into smaller pieces. If Oumuamua were a comet, he argues, it would not have survived. Quote, there's very strong and unequivocal evidence on both sides, said Ravikov. If it's an asteroid, then it's really unusual with exotic scenarios for its formation. He proposed such a scenario, such a scenario earlier this year, whereby an ordinary star dies, forming a white dwarf, and in the process rips apart a planet and launches the shards clear across the galaxy. Hmm. Umuamua is one of those shards in this scenario. Quote, basically, it's a messenger from a dead star, he said. That's pretty cool, though. Indeed. If that's actually what is the case. It's a neat possibility anyway. Right. So end of quote of that article. To make matters even more baffling, folks were unable to determine Oumuamua's exact interstellar origin. Again from this article, quote, Oumuamua's trajectory was at least two light years away from all the candidates. Too far for them to be its source. Candidate, um, original stellar systems. Gotcha. Um, and if Oumuamua got launched hundreds of millions of years ago, all the local stars will have shifted quite a bit since then. It's unlikely you'd ever be able to track it back to a single individual parent system, which is a shame, because it's just the way things are, said Alan Jackson, an astronomer at the University of Toronto. Hmm. So, one of the most challenging aspects in all of this, of course, is that we as humans did not get all that much of a chance to really look at Oumuamua as it zoomed by. Available images, the real ones, not the pretty artistic interpretations, are painfully lacking in detail. Mm. They're pretty much, it just is like a white speck. Yeah. That said, scientists are pretty sure it was elongated, perhaps cigar-like in shape, reddish in hue, much like known objects in the Kuiper Belt, and that it rotated about on its own axis in a tumbling, end-over-end way as it went. Apparently, its tumbling motion could have been induced or uh, at or near its cosmic point of origin as, and I'm quoting from published research, quote, the time scale for dissipation of this motion is at least a billion years. <laughs> Naturally, the ongoing feud among scientists, many of them seasoned professionals, about just what the heck they saw left a juicy opening for somewhat more conspiratorial theories regarding Oumuamua. Naturally. The eepy-creepy part is that one of the most uh, public of these ideas was availed not by society's collective kooky cousin, uncle, or aunt, but by Dr. Abram Loeb, Avi for short, professor of science at Harvard University, you might have heard of it, lead or co-author on four books and over 700 papers with an H-index of 99. Jesus. He is chair of Harvard's Department of Astronomy founding director of Harvard's Black Hole Initiative, director of the Institute for Theory and Computation within the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics, and his list of accolades and positions of authority goes on and on. All this to say, Avi has excelled in a career that is very firmly established in public accountability, producing intellectual property of high integrity and wide applicability and impact. So for him to bring something forward, it's not just pissing in the wind. Yeah, that's, yeah. In a published paper in the Astrophysical Journal Letters, a peer-reviewed journal currently still with a very respectable impact factor of 6.634. Not bad. Shmuel Bialy and Dr. Loeb suggest that Oumuamua's acceleration could be explained by solar radiation if the object was, in fact, quite thin. 
It sounds impossible if you've never heard of the concept, but one can, in fact, move a craft through space using solar radiation as a propellant. Solar wind kind of thing? Solar radiate. Well, yeah, essentially. Um, solar radiation creates a very slight but very real pressure, a pressure that could be harnessed through the use of a very large and thin reflective surface. Um, in a mode analogous to wind being caught in a wide sail to move a boat, so-called solar sails or light sails have been shown to work actually shown empirically to work mm. and could feasibly propel crafts through space over very long distances without the need for incredibly huge or costly fuel banks this is one of the major debates about like space travel in general is how do we just get from point a to point b without yeah. you know the, the issue is you increase your weight with more fuel but you need more fuel to go further so how do we reconcile these two things yeah. and solar sails are one of the front runners for this kind of thing and solar wind also that's why the tail on a comet goes the direction it does right as far as it's always just away from the sun i'm not sure but i would believe it though i think that's yeah. true because i for the longest time it's so easy to think of things in terms of how they would work on because that would be the hottest side of the comet yes essentially yeah so if you think about how things look on earth if you're to throw um you know a ball with some kind of tail trailing off of it uh, it would just go behind it, like whatever direction it's going, the tail would be directly behind it. Right. But a comet will go, you know, whatever direction it's going, and the tail will just always be pointing away from the sun. Even right. If it's not, even if this comet's moving like at a ninety degree angle to where the tail is going, so it looks mm -hmm. counterintuitive to how we think of aerodynamics working, but it's not aerodynamics. It's a whole different thing happening in space, and it's to do with the solar wind and the direction that's going. Indeed, very good point, actually. Um, so where was I? Um. Mm. Okay, here we go. So, right, long distances need for incredibly huge or costly fuel banks. Remember, we're pretty certain Oumuamua was uh, quite a bit longer than it was wide. It had a needle or cigar-like shape, but we don't actually know its real dimensions. As such, Loeb suggests that if Oumuamua were actually just about a millimeter in thickness, a tidy push by the sun could explain its non-gravitational acceleration without the need for it being some kind of weird-ass comet. In their paper, they lay out a heady and math-dense case showing how the trajectory and qualities of Oumuamua are so odd. At length, they deliver, with no tongue-in-cheek, the following line, quote, Considering an artificial origin, one possibility is that Oumuamua is a light sail floating in interstellar space as a debris from an advanced technological equipment. Jesus. Um, so <clears throat> I, I really didn't read anything about this as the story was coming out. I knew that people were like, oh, it's some kind of extraterrestrial thing. I was like, okay, I just I still ignored that too. It's like, okay, whatever. Not knowing that that was initially proposed, not, maybe not first proposed, but at least prominently proposed by a Harvard, like well-known Harvard professor. Indeed, indeed, it makes it quite titillating. Hmm. Uh, so, reading from an article published in Space.com covering the release of this research, quote. Bialy and Loeb further calculated that a light sail Umuamua could probably survive a long interstellar trek. Given the concentration of gas and dust in the interstellar medium and the speeds at which the object would encounter these deep space flecks, the researchers determined that Oumuamua could make it at least 16,000 light years from its home system, whatever that may be. Quote, this is good news for SETI, Loeb said, referring to the re uh, search for extraterrestrial intelligence. This is not speculation, he added. It's evidence-based. We have an anomaly in, in the data. The anomaly is that the orbit deviates from a uh, Keplerian orbit, deviates from what gravity alone would do, and the viable explanations for that do not exist, other than the one that we are proposing, he claims. Hmm. 
To be clear, Bialy and Loeb aren't claiming in this study that Oumuamua is definitely an alien spacecraft, but they do think this is a real possibility. Wow. The object could be a piece of alien space junk, a defunct sailcraft that has accidentally found its way to us, or it may be an active reconnaissance craft sent here to check out our solar system, the researchers wrote in the study. Throwing like a boomerang, apparently, just end over end <laughs> into our solar system. <laughs> Millions of light years away, someone's just like, watch this. <laughs> and they wait there to this day. There are reasons to favor the latter explanation, the scout craft explanation, Loeb said. For starters, Umuamua's very discovery was something of an anomaly. If the visitor is a member of a random population, stumbling across it the way we did suggests that every star in the Milky Way ejects into interstellar space 1,000 trillion such objects over its lifetime, Jesus, Loeb said. So basically the odds of this thing even showing up are slim. Mm. Our own solar system doesn't shed so many Oumuamua-like objects, he added. It's constantly shitting out all these <laughs> weird rock blobs. <laughs> exactly. Um, in addition, Oumuamua's motion is roughly coincident with the average motion of material in our patch of the Milky Way galaxy, a kinematic space known as the local standard of rest. Indeed, that's why the object's system of origin has been so hard to pin down. In other words, Oumuamua came into our solar system at roughly the same speed as most things in the local part of space mm. move about. Interesting. So it sort of matched the speed of our area. Yeah. If I created an instrument whose identity I would like to hide, said Loeb, I would put it at the local standard of rest. So he's saying that it kind of <laughs> came in covertly in a way. Yeah. Rather than blasting in super fast and then slowing down all of a sudden or vice versa, it it kind of just came right in and it scooched out. Hmm. So, weird asteroid, weird comet, weird spacecraft, the answer at this point rests largely on the outlook of the listener. Understandably and somewhat appropriately, Loeb's proposition has been widely, if respectfully, poo-pooed. And I myself lean towards Oumuamua being some kind of aberrant interstellar comet or comet fragment. But I think the spacecraft slash intelligent debris hypothesis is delightful and actually a harmless approach to teasing apart the story, so long as it's approached from the same mathematic and scientific rigor that was applied in its conception. And that, my friends, it's all I have is to all say, I have about, to say that. about that. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I was not aware that the that was the whole story to it. It's pretty fun. I just knew, like, oh, it looks like kind of a long asteroid thing. And that was the extent to like, and people were freaking out about it. Right. That was the extent to which I knew anything about Oumuamua. But uh, that's very cool. I similarly, I had heard at the time, though, of uh, the Loeb proposition, I guess you could say. And yeah. that was like, whoa, cool. But it, that was kind of it, too. It was sort of like, I don't want to fall too in love with this because I feel like at the end of the day, it'll probably just be a big rock. And I always feel like when they're like, oh, this doesn't move the way it ought to, there's always... At some point, people are like, oh, actually, no, that makes total mathematical sense. There's no reason that we had to freak out so much. Right. Like, think of how long people said, like, physicists were like, oh, bumblebees shouldn't be able to fly because the mass of their bodies isn't, like, and, and the like, aerodynamics their... of the, how their wings work just yeah. doesn't make any sense. It's like, no, they just flap their wings fast. They have four wings. Like, That's part of the argument. It. Exactly. And a lot of folks um, offer that. It's it's maybe just a very weird comet that happened to take a strange arc, and the reason we haven't detected the tail or what they call a coma, which is sort of an 
a sort of mini atmosphere comets form around themselves as they heat up yeah is just because it was so darn tiny yeah a kilometer that's that's very small it's minuscule and and it it bounced i mean it was here and then it was gone in in relative terms you know even yeah. if even if it's going to take you know twenty thousand years to get out of our solar system the amount of time we have on the surface of our planet to view an object that small is is so so brief yeah so, I mean, think of how long it took for us to be able to see what pluto looks like up close sure, like how right. long it took us to get there we finally got a chance to see it and stuff and you know that's yeah, the end of our solar system. So this thing is just moving further and further away. It was only close enough to see very briefly. Uh, do you have any of the images of what it actually looks like from our actual photos, not the artistic depictions? Oh, I yeah. Here, let me, let me grab one one sec. Sure. So here is just one composite image. Oh, of course. So is that the bright spot in the middle of the sun? Yeah, you know, a little speck. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there are worse images than that. Oh, good. But of course, the... Here's here's another one. There it is. <laughs> the airplane is it's the tiniest speck. <laughs> so you just know that it is there. Uh, but like otherwise there's just no clear way to tell the shape of it compared to at all. artist interpretations where it's like, oh yeah, I've seen yeah. something like that that are like this big long, very textured, cigar shaped doo doo. Yep. Alright, so there's so many reasons then if that's <laughs> that's the best observation we can get of it. Right. It seems and do you have any sense for how long we were able to see it is in order to get those photos and stuff or um how long it was close enough for us to see? I think we had on the order of a few months. I know when they detected uh, yeah, it, I think it was like June of 2017. It was headed our way. October it had rounded the sun and was moving away. And then by November or so it was kind of scooching out of range. Gotcha. And so And so that's you know the best we could get photos right, wise, right? And exactly. it's terrible. We'll post some of these. They're I also not have, informative. Yeah, but it'll be fun if you guys are interested to take a peek. Oh, absolutely! It, it helps kind of to at least tell more of the story of why it's so hard to know what the hell this thing is. I also dug up an interview with Loeb um, on his views, and uh, I haven't listened to very much of it at all. So maybe it's garbage, but I figure fun to include the link in if case in case folks are interested. Sure, why not? Um, but yeah, that's what I got for you. Good stuff. Definitely Ooh. a bit more scientific than, say, uh, the stuff that I pull up. Counterbalancing all the time. <laughs> Usually it's me who's... <laughs> Unfortunately, it wasn't until I finished putting mine together that I was like, oh, wait, I'm first this week. Oh, shit. That's all right. <laughs> you laugh, and then you learn. Sometimes the other way around. Yes. But then, no. Like, oh, wait, everything I learned was actually a scam. <laughs> I enjoyed that so much, though. Oh, my God. And I do actually want to really, send them fake I money. Really so that do, I, yeah. If there's some way we can find to scam them to find out what their deal is, that would be great. Scam the scammers. Um, I'll try and dig deeper into just seeing if anyone has, if there's any reviews from anyone who's taken the classes or people who have made any of their lectures available or anything like that. Um, or if we raise enough money from our GoFundMe to go to Loch Ness but aren't able to make it to Loch Ness, mm-hmm. we can use that money towards our educations as exopoliticians yes uh, I'll, exactly i'll again post exactly. a link to our gofundme uh in this week's show links let's see how far we are so far towards our goal of going to loch ness in june we have raised a whopping oh zero dollars out of twelve thousand <sighs> thank god good good stuff so far thank you for your help as always almost there if we find out anything else about umuamua 
I don't have any updates. (laughs) Any updates about last week's story that I told? Um, So far, no new posts about that. Maybe I did see a recent post. As far as I was looking for the the most recent stuff in that thread, and someone posted a couple days ago, like, "Oh well, bar guests are sometimes accompanied by the sound of rattling chains." Naturally. And it's like, but they're only really known in England. And it's like, well, first of all, it's a German name, so it's probably just a European thing in general. But second of all, aren't bar guests, are they from mythology or are they from a video game or Magic the Gathering or something? Yeah, I thought that was weird. I thought they were like evil demon dogs. Well, it's bar, it's, it's, isn't that a bear ghost? Or a bear ghost? Yeah, okay, there is absolutely a bear ghost, but it is, I have seen them interpreted, let's put it that way, as sort of dog-like. But I see. you're correct, the translation is bear ghost. Yeah. Bargeist. So, could be that. Just an upstate New York. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It was a German transplant. <laughs> yep. Some American God shit right there. Back in the New Amsterdam days of uh, mm-hmm. of New York. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. That's all we got, I think. If you have any stories of your own, any interesting uh, theories you have about outer space or experiences <laughs> with... Outer stuff. space ain't real. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to share your skepticism about the existence of space outside of Earth, please contact us at our email, contact at superduperstitions.com. And uh, as always, if you have stories that you want read or personal accounts you'd like us to stumble over and laugh at. I just uh, want to say, hey. Hey, hey. We're always ready for a hey. Yep. And with that, we'll leave you till next time. See ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.